Welcome back to the Lived Experience Project, the narrative storytelling podcast that aspires to create space for conversations that promote awareness and compassion. I'm Witty and Nicola. Last episode, we heard Nicole detail the experience of being married to an undocumented immigrant. In today's episode, we will get Mateo's perspective. We begin with his mother's plea after she heard his plans to leave for the United States. When she saw me getting ready and when she saw that I was getting all my stuff together, she didn't want to go. She got mad at me she didn't talk to me because she was pissed. She was telling me, don't go, don't go. As I listened to Mateo share about leaving his family to travel to the United States, I couldn't help being drawn into his story. Yet despite the fact that he was seemingly unhesitant and transparent, he asked me to change his name as an extra layer of precaution, an experience many may never have to think twice about. I'd like for people to hear my story so they can know what we go through, he told me. Remaining anonymous, though, was important to him. He wanted to remain somewhat protected even though he wanted people to understand his experience. Besides that preference, Mateo revealed a lot during our conversation. He told me what motivated him to come to the States, what it was like saying goodbye to his family, the changes he underwent that kept him here, the obstacles he faced, and, of course, his and Nicole's love story. When I first met Mateo, he was calm, confident, articulate, and extremely friendly. He walked into the room holding his baby in two diaper bags. As he passed his son to his wife, he sat down and started chatting with me. He'd been in the U.S. for over 15 years, he told me, and while he'd celebrated many happy occasions while living here, he'd also faced great challenges. Initially, I was curious about what might inspire a 17-year-old to leave his home country and family behind. He was tempted, he told me, by all his friends who would return from America with new clothes and money to buy things like cars and video games. Why not me, he asked himself. With little opportunity to work and make money to buy these things in his home country, he decided to move. Captivated by the American dream, not too different from those who flooded the lines leading to Ellis Island over a hundred years ago, Mateo was also willing to leave his home for what he thought might be a brighter future. But the days of entering the U.S. via Ellis Island are over. Had Mateo wanted to attempt to enter the U.S. legally, he would, in theory, have had three options. According to the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, there are currently three general paths to getting a green card, which is also the first step to becoming a U.S. citizen. The first way is to obtain that green card through a U.S. citizen parent, spouse, sibling, or adult child. The second is a humanitarian path, primarily designated for refugees from war-torn countries. The employment path is the third. It's for those who get jobs in the U.S. and are then sponsored by their employer. Often, these people fit into special categories and are few in numbers. In addition to that, there are a limitation on the number of annually issued green cards, and only certain percentages are allowed to be issued for certain countries. Because of the few visa categories and the relatively few that are issued, 
high expenses, as well as processing times that can stretch decades for many families, the obstacles to entering the U.S. lawfully and becoming naturalized are strong catalysts to bypassing the process altogether. While the desperation to escape poverty and violence may seem like apparent motivation, this wasn't the case with Mateo. As a 17-year-old, he didn't think much, if at all, about the challenges he'd face when he made the decision to leave home. In fact, he thought he might actually return. Although his dad understood his motivations, his mom, on the other hand, had a different reaction. Here, Mateo recalls the night before he left. Even I remember the day that I left, I left in the house uh, around 10 o'clock at night because I was getting ready to go to the, to the airport in Mexico City. Uh, you know, I was getting my stuff. My dad, whatever he liked it or not, he was there for me. He was helping me. And my mom still upset at me. He didn't, she didn't want to talk to me. But uh, because she was saying, don't go, don't go, don't go. And when I was walking out of the door, she ran after me, begging me, don't go. If you go, you're not going to see me again. I know. She told me that. And that's what happened. I never saw her. My mom died seven, seven, six years ago. As I listened to Mateo, I couldn't help but think about the cost of his sacrifice to leave home. Given the loss, I wonder why he didn't go back right away, and if at a later point he ever planned on it. When I asked him why he never returned, he said the longer he stayed in the U.S., the clearer it became that he had to stay. As the time and geography separation widened, Mateo attempted to shrink it so that his original pursuit of the American dream took on more than one form. Well, my idea was just to come here, make my money, and come back. But there was another thing that changed. While I was here, I realized that I was a support for my family, especially for my loved ones and my mom. My mom went through a lot of issues, health issues. So I was the one paying for all that. When she got sick, I would pay for it. If they need something, I would pay for it. So my idea to come and make money it didn't happen. Probably because I was young also. I was 17 years old and I turned 18 and you start having money and then you start, you know, buying things, getting things. According to you, they're like, you live in life, but now, I was also kind of like, how can I say it? In order for me to have those things and in order for me to live in this country, to live under a roof and have food, I had to work. So it wasn't easy either. I mean, probably I will have things here and there, but it wasn't easy. I will have, I will have responsibilities to pay my rent, to pay my bills, and everything. Plus, saving. That was the idea. Saving, you know, sending money to Mexico and trying to save, but at the same time, for every single time that, you know, either like my sisters will have economic problems, they will ask me for help, I was there. If I had the money, I would help it. They're my family, they're my loved ones. So, for a lot of, before my mom died, I used to pay for all his medical uh, expenses.
Caught in the clash between a dream and reality, Mateo, like so many other immigrants, was confronted with a lived experience that was more challenging than magical. Working hard to learn English and make enough money to pay his bills, Nicole shared that when Mateo first came to the States, he was working two jobs and taking an ESL class and would only sleep for four hours a night for well over a year, and he never complained. The complicated nature of having to choose between staying and going with all its costs isn't an uncommon phenomenon among undocumented immigrants. In fact, the hope for a better future is often met with a sharply stark contrast. From the development of anxiety and constant fear due to deportation, to shame, rejection, and despair, as well as grief and stigmatization, the undocumented immigrant experience goes well beyond the story of someone desiring to obtain the American dream. It includes hard choices and missed opportunities. What this commonly known American dream narrative obscures are the realities of loss. For undocumented immigrants, one form of prosperity might mean another form of poverty. I thought I came prepared for my interview with Mateo and Nicole. What a sad story, I thought to myself. It must be so hard for Mateo to face the possibility of losing his family again. Initially, I assumed he'd been forced to leave his home country for a safer, less violent, and impoverished place to live, and that he'd sacrificed so much for it. I was completely caught off guard, though, when I heard his answer about what brought him to the U.S. You came for stuff, I thought to myself. No one's going to empathize with an undocumented immigrant who came to the U.S. for stuff. I felt my heart sink and assumed that some of my listeners would blame Mateo for his own misfortune in coming here. He did this to himself. He should have waited in line, just like thousands of other people, I thought some might say. I sat with that tension during the entire interview and sensed a need to explore my own discomforts with his story. Why was I so afraid of his reasoning? What I've come to realize is that Mateo's story has less to do with worthiness and more to do with the very real implications of pursuing the American dream, particularly its paradoxes. Since its inception, the American identity has been most immediately defined by opportunity or the ability for persons to pursue an imagined destiny for something different, better, and greater, all encompassed in this dream. Its evolution began with a set of ideals in the Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights such as life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. To the Puritans, the dream was a pursuit of religious freedom. During the Civil Rights Movement, the dream was equality. Today's dream, however, is of upward mobility. One can argue that this version of the dream is the most alluring. It esteems personal fulfillment, fame, and fortune. Many of its aspects, however, remain elusive and extremely complicated. As with Mateo, enticed by all the U.S. had to offer within a massive global economy, his initial pursuit of the American dream to attain stuff could be perceived as a threat to others' pursuit of the same dream. Instead of confidence that there's enough stuff to go around, overlapping dreams lead to perceptions of danger. This, then, perpetuates economic and nationalistic debate that is underlined by who is more worthy and who has access to resources, the native-born who has a right to be here, or the foreign-born who doesn't have any rights because he or she broke the law and in many cases is seen as a thief of the system. 
Rather than prosperity, the harsh reality is that Mateo faced poverty on many levels, particularly in the form of separation from his family. Before somebody told us that with cancer, she always had issues with her lungs, coughing, uh, stuff like that. So all the time she used to go to doctors and stuff like that. Also, like, my mom and my dad didn't have a really good relationship <laughs> at the end. So, I was more obligated to have my mom because I knew that my mom would need money. And at the same time, my mom, she would feel comfortable. So, that was another thing that happened. Instead of me trying to concentrate myself on what I was doing and probably go back, I didn't because at the same time, I was, like, feeling responsible. Was like, all right, if I go, who's going to help them? Who's going to help my mom? Who's going to pay for the medical, uh, you know, expenses and everything? So I had to stay here. Um, so, so yeah, that happens. And when we finally, somebody told us it was cancer, and then somebody else's, another doctor said, like, no, that's not truth. So we were confused. So we didn't know exactly what was the, the, the thing. Uh, once again, if I knew better, I would probably just tell my mom, you know what, go to another hospital, get a, you know, a really good uh, studies and stuff like that and try and find out what it is, but but no, so also like my, my, my family didn't know exactly what to do, <laughs> so but yeah, it was, it was, it was bad, I mean, at the end I remember one day I was working at the restaurant, and then I got a call from my, my aunt and then she's like listen, you have to call to your family right now because uh, you see, they're trying to reach me, and they want to talk to you. Right at the moment, I felt that I felt there was something wrong because they would never call me. I was the one calling them. And since I knew that my mom was in that delicate stage, I automatically knew there was something wrong. Mm. I was hoping that maybe not. I was hoping that maybe they would just tell me, "Just we need more money." I don't mind. You need more money, I will go and send it. I know. Mm. When I Called my sister, she was in tears, she was crying, she was like desperate. And she saw my mom pass away. Mm. <laughs> I was working that day and I was like, you know what? I just ran to my manager. I told her and then she hugged me. Mm. She's like, go, go, leave everything. So I left. And I was dealing also with a, with a, with a decision should I go? Should I stay? What should I do? I remember I, I went back to my apartment and I was just crying. And I didn't know exactly what to do. As Nicole's tears rolled down her cheeks while Mateo shared his story, I found myself becoming emotional too. The pain of either decision Mateo had to make was unavoidable. While some decisions can be easily made for most of us, the choices are often less than ideal for undocumented immigrants. Those choices are well beyond the leaving and staying, or, as declared in the media, the option of going back to your country. It's never that simple, or easy for that matter, because those choices are often about survival. According to the World Bank, the number of international migrants surpassed 250 million in 2015, an all-time high as people search for economic opportunity. These international migrants sent $601 billion to their families in their home countries. 
This money, called a remittance, is known to provide a lifeline for millions of households in developing countries, as well as improve their lives and livelihoods. The 47% poverty rate in Mateo's home country, Mexico, helps contextualize the choice he made as a 17-year-old. His subsequent decision to stay in the States and not return to Mexico wasn't made in a vacuum. He considered, most important at all, his mom's livelihood, not just his own. The American dream became Mateo's greatest gift and greatest challenge. On the one hand, he would shrink their geographical separation by sending money to show his love and support. But on the other hand, he would sacrifice the opportunity to be with his mom physically. For undocumented immigrants, decisions like that can't be isolated because they always interlock with other factors. Ultimately, Mateo chose to stay in the U.S. despite his desire to mourn with his family. On more than one occasion, Nicole called him a survivor, emphasizing his strength. Here she is now. She passed before we started dating, so I wasn't there for that, but shared his story with me little by little once we started dating, so it's just emotional to hear it all together now at once and think of how hard that was, and there are just moments in your life where you take for granted that your family's there. When it hits you that the person that you love doesn't have their family here, it just... It's just not fair. <laughs> and the thing is, life's not fair, but I just can't imagine. It's just sad. And he deals with it. I mean, it's his life. He he goes on and he still has his dad. And I think we... Life happens and we deal with it the best that we can. And as partners, we support each other. But it's, it's just hard for him. <laughs> Your heart just hurts. He's a, he is a survivor, and I and sometimes I don't see how hard it is for him, and sometimes I don't see how dehumanizing it is and, and how many barriers there are because he, he just survives. Although Nicole confessed how easily overfamiliarity could blind her to her close support, when she heard her husband's story, she likened his experience to that of a survivor. Perhaps it's because many people can't imagine what it might be like not to have any nearby support, so overcoming a hardship like that seems heroic in some small way. Not heroic in the cheesy you-are-the-wind-beneath-my-wings way, but heroic in the sense of being able to see another's capacity to live differently, with something missing, and still be standing. I asked him what he feels when he's with Nicole. Here's what Mateo told me. When I'm at home, when I'm with her, I don't feel bad. Everything is vanished. But it's just, you know. And even when I'm when I go with her family, you know, just just for even now long ago we went for vacation. Just just being there, being part of them. I'm you know, I don't and I wish I can live like that 24-7, you know? It makes me feel like, yes, I am a person who I'm living here and I just want to have an ordinary life like everybody else. As I set out to hear the love story between Nicole and Mateo, I had a vague and loosely connected agenda about what I might hear. 
I clung to the idea that their love would captivate me, and in some small way that their commitment to one another would capture well the lived human experience. What I couldn't have anticipated, however, was the great tapestry that unfolded. A tapestry that exposed Mateo's story as connected rather than isolated, and sewn together to reveal a greater truth that may have been missed when heard in pieces. Given the beauty of human dynamics, to approach one love story is to connect to another. Mateo's narrative captures well the connected relational nature of our existence. Because an unexpected something revealed itself in the relationship between him and his mom, we are yet again given a great opportunity to understand the immigrant experience in a new way. Perhaps the way in which everything vanishes for Mateo when he's with his wife and her family reflects well the loving, looming presence of his biological one. What feels most important to notice is that Mateo makes sense of his undocumented immigrant journey through his relationship with his mom, the same relationship that gives meaning to the family he's created here in the States. While Mateo's mom is also a reminder of loss and missed opportunities, it is also an even greater reminder of the significance of love and relationships. Drawn by one version of the American dream, Mateo stayed long past the time when that version stopped being credible for him. It's clear now that he's here for reasons that unequivocally transcend the American dream. <laughs>